0: first episode in a new podcast series by Merchant Taylor School Crosby called Merchants Talks. My name is Misty Yates and I'll be hosting this inaugural podcast focusing on self-regulated learners and metacognition. Please sit back and enjoy the discussion. I'm joined by three colleagues today, all of whom have an interest in today's topic of discussion. We have Mr O'Brien, Ms Tarr and Mr Andrews. Uh, To kick us off, I'd just like to ask each of my colleagues something a little bit about themselves. So I'll start with Mr O'Brien. What's your role at the school and uh, why the interest in today's topic of discussion?
1: So I'm the assistant head in charge of teaching and learning at at Merchant Taylors, And this is one of my main focuses that I wanted to get into this role for was because I'm really interested in how we are as learners and how we develop not just in individual subjects but as an overall learner going forward in life. I think it's really important that we have an understanding of ourselves as individuals, how our mind works and how we can develop the skills of learning and managing ourselves in terms of our motivation. Okay, great. Mr. Tarr, um, how long have you been here at Merchants and what's your interest in?
2: This is my second year at Merchants. Um, I'm interested in this area of cognitive science because I've been trialling modelling with my students, so modelling live on the board to try and get them to understand the writing process in a much more um, sophisticated, perceptive way so they actually know how to produce a paragraph that's detailed, uh, insightful, and they can get the highest mark that they can. So I'm really keen to develop my knowledge of it from experienced colleagues and try and translate that to students in my teaching.
0: Excellent and uh, finally Mr Andrews how about yourself.
3: So my role at school uh, is the Deputy Hale academic, um, this is my third year at Merchants um, and uh, I've really enjoyed being part of the teaching and learning community um, here at the school. Um, my interest I think in metacognition uh, and Um, Self-regulation within learning started pretty early in my teaching career. Um, I was blessed with having an absolutely fantastic mentor. um, My first head of department, Um, I'm an economics teacher, um, and the head of economics there had a real interest in uh, how children learn economics. Um, And that stretched from um, pedagogical content knowledge, so kind of how you teach um, subject understanding in a way that uh, students best learn, um, through to student motivation um, and uh, the types of frameworks and writing and conceptual frameworks of ideas that meant that children made good progress in their, in their studies. Um, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to um, study a, a masters um, in education um, and this, this type of area was what I focused on um, as I uh, did, did a little bit of education research. I um, was able to undertake some you know, practitioner action research in this area. I should probably introduce you, uh, Mr. Yates, as well. Well, um, yeah. and uh, and also thank you for inviting yes. us to to your penthouse suite here at the top of the Oliver Building. It's oh, one um, well of many.
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I'm Mr. Yates. I'm the head of middle middle school uh, here at Merchants. So I've been here ten years now. Um, so uh yeah, so my my role uh, is a crossover really between uh pastoral issues, uh but also the academic issues as well, uh that students students encounter. So um I would say that I that my um specialty area uh is is uh, is metacognition and, and that's why we've got obviously the three of you here. But um, you know, it's obviously something that we as teachers um, should be thinking about and, and probably need to think more about um, you know, move, moving forward um, so if I mean we did dive straight straight in uh, a lot of people might not uh, have come across this term uh, metacognition or they might be sort of I've heard it there's a, a word that's been sort of thrown around uh, at times but I'll start with uh, Mr O'Brien can you sort of describe what metacognition is uh, and, and how does that relate to, to sort of self regulated learners
1: yeah so I, I try my best so in terms of metacognition it 's a part of being a self regulated learner and we 'll go into that a bit more detail about what the, the three areas of that are so in terms of metacognition it 's really for me an awareness of your thinking process so you 're aware of being able to select the right strategy so when you see a problem you 're able to recognize what it is and use your subject specific knowledge or your knowledge of whatever that task is and then select the right strategy being able to monitor it as you go and then evaluate that process at the end so it's really about being aware of your thoughts while you're solving a problem or completing a task and not just going through it unconsciously and being conscious of what you're thinking about yeah yeah obviously your subject's maths
0: would the process that you go through in terms of trying to get across metacognition and self-regulation to a math student, would that differ from, say, Ms. Tard doing, doing the same in English, maybe?
1: Yeah, for me, absolutely. Metacognition and step in others when you think you can help. For me, it's very, it's very task-specific. You can understand the general thinking and being aware of your thoughts but it must, metacognition is subject specific and task specific, it's something we do all the time. Mm-hmm. Just going to the shops, you're being metacognitive in terms of thinking about what you're gonna buy from the shops, then thinking about the route or how you're gonna travel there, because you could walk, get the bus, you could drive, and understanding of yourself on which one you'd like to use and which one you think would get you there the best. And then while you're going on the way, you'll be monitoring how you're mm-hmm. going. Is this the best route? Have I gone the way where the traffic lights are? So next time I might go the other way. And then again, when you get there, you'll be evaluating, oh, I've forgotten the shopping list. Next time I'd rather write it down on my phone. And all of those processes in general life, we're using metacognition. So it's very specific to the area you're doing it. And within your subjects, I'm sure you'll be able to say more than me, but it's even specific to the areas of your subject you'll do different metacognition depending on what Mm. area of English you might be looking at in terms of poetry or Mm. essay writing or Mm. different areas in economics that you might look at. Mm.
0: Is it something that you can teach students to do? Or is it something that you think naturally maybe comes through Mm. experience
2: being in school? I think you can teach it explicitly. Mm. So when we write a paragraph, for example, in... English if it's about how a writer presents the character's feelings. You can teach them how to think like an expert in that subject, so why are we choosing this particular sentence to start with? I've picked this quote, but is it a good one? Can I say something meaningful about it? And I think the more you do that with them and you show them that your thinking is, okay, this is the process I'm going through, they can learn to think in the same way if you model it explicitly. I I think you can teach it, but some students maybe have more of a tendency or an inclination towards as you said um, earlier, Mr O'Brien, self-regulation. So, okay, how am I doing? How do I know that I'm doing it well? What can I do to improve? I think some students do that naturally, but I think you can teach it if you model it explicitly in in the classroom.
3: It means you get to a choice, doesn't it? It means that you get to a choice of either you're going to hope that your students meander, Mm -hmm. find their own way there, Mm -hmm. um, or it's taking a choice to deliberately Mm -hmm. and explicitly... Mm -hmm cultivate those habits yeah, in, yeah. in the students that you, you work with. Mm. Um, one, one of those seems eminently more sensible than the other to me. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think it yeah. comes back to the, the, the big one, we'll get onto it later, but as teachers the biggest thing you can do with metacognition is be explicit. Mm. Yeah. Be really explicit mm. in terms of this is how I'm thinking and I'm thinking as a mathematician now, I'm telling you my thoughts. Mm. This is how you should think when you are solving this problem, and really go through stage by stage mm. on whatever you like, you're developing your essays, or you get a six mark economics question. Mm. When I see this as an expert, because we're teaching novices, and I think metacognition is trying to make them experts. So, trying to give them the skills that we have as experts in terms of our thinking is sometimes taken for granted as teachers or as parents. Mm. We sometimes yeah. assume, like I, I did a talk on Monday to the year sevens and I went in thinking that they would know what proactive and reactive was. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't. Yeah. most of them didn't know oh. what it was. They hadn't heard those terms yeah. and it was quite a shock when I was going around talking to them and then I changed how I was going to deliver it because I assumed yeah. wrongly that they had come across that. Yeah. And I think it's the same, it's about being really explicit when you're going through like fractions. And saying if I'm doing fractions problem not just going through and doing the question and mm-hmm. modeling on the board but modeling my thoughts of yeah. okay well I see a fraction problem what do I know about fractions well I know if I add or subtract any common denominator if it's multiplying I'm gonna look to cross cancel or if I'm dividing all those thoughts that I would just do I'm explicitly mm. saying out loud to them and then questioning them on the next time, I'm going to question you and ask them to be metacognitive mm. in the way they talk through the process as well. Yeah, Do so so you do that in English or economics?
2: Oh, yeah, we do. And, uh, on the PGC, we did the CPD, and they were talking about the Blue Peter effect. So you give a paragraph that's pre-written, which is something that I'm guilty of doing. There's a perfect paragraph. That's an exemplar. This is how you should be writing it. But the, that was a light bulb or a kind of threshold, one of those threshold concepts which changes how you teacher, well, if I'm giving that to them saying that's the perfect one, they don't know how I've written that, so, okay, you need to choose the right quote. you need to analyse in detail, you need to pick out the technique and think about the writer's intent, but if you're not showing them how to do that, but you're saying, okay there's the perfect paragraph, here's one I made earlier, that doesn't, it doesn't have the same effect, because I remember thinking and talking to my mentor and saying, well, I'm giving them you know, that's what you should be writing and she was reminding me, well, they don't know how to do that, it's like the Here's one I made yeah, earlier yeah. on, but they don't know, you know, if you give someone a cup of tea and say, that's per, you know, that's a cup of tea, you know what it looks like, go and make one. You don't know the process behind that and how to do that in future. So that, that was something I really, that was, yeah, like a moment for me, realising actually they don't know how to do it. Yeah. I'm just saying there it is. Um, they've used a really good quote, you can do the same, but actually they, they can't unless you say to them, okay, here's a quotation. Can we, is, is this actually a good one? Let's look at it. No, it isn't. We can't say much about it, so we need to pick another one. Instead of saying, right, there's a paragraph. As you said um, earlier on, Mr O'Brien, it's that idea of... I think David Didow talks about it in his book, A Myths About Education, that you have to make the implicit explicit, which is what yeah. you were saying before, about you know choosing the right word, or if it's maths, like how you perhaps approach a, uh, a problem, or how you would solve it using a specific strategy. I think that was really really, really helpful for me and something I'm trying to do every day. Now, and the visualizer has been really helpful. Mm. Um, Mr. Andrews, thank you so much for that. I kind of changed my teaching. <laughs> I think, like, writing out, this is how I would write it if I was in the exam. So you start to plan it and then you show them that you can cross out words. I think that's also been something really helpful because some of them use their tipex and they, you know, rubbing it out. So you don't need to do that. Just draw a line through it and I can see that you've you've thought that's not a very good word. I'm going to choose another one. And it helps me to to see that you're you are self regulating. Yeah. I've been showing them that Charles Dickens' scroll and you know, Jane Austen's and they've that helps the year 7s particularly say, Oh, is that what they, yeah, there's published writers, you know, the most successful writers in in, in in world literature who are doing the same thing and it shows that you are thinking about the process instead of just what you're writing. It's about how you, you get there instead of you know what it is, maybe the content of your work, which I think mean you alluded to earlier on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's steering away and, you know, a lot of people already do this and uh, most teachers should yeah, already do this, yeah. and, you know, getting away from that model of the class in front of you, yeah. you teach them the right answers, yeah. they then go and do the mm. exam and get the best grade that they can. Yeah. Um, so I suppose it's, it's equally important to teach the methodology behind learning, which mm. this is, um, along
3: with obviously your subject content. Yeah, that, that, mm. um, that split screen approach um, of mm-hmm. n- n- you know knowledge and skills um, on one side, but also mm-hmm. the way you think about the subject uh, it, mm-hmm. on the other, um, is 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 really powerful. Um, the nature of the conversation that we've had so far, um, both speaking about um, maths and speaking about English, indicates um, ju- just just how subject specific this is. That I think probably comes back to the point that uh, the way knowledge is produced and acquired in different disciplines is, is very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the hard sciences it's quite different to um, how we come to know something um, than in social sciences or in the arts yeah. um, and therefore the nature of how you think about thinking um, and how you demonstrate um the, the uh, self-regulation and, and understanding of the thinking process um, is going to be very different and, and that's why I think a lot more now of um, the education sector's exploration of metacognition as a concept is, is done at a subject-specific mm-hmm. level. Um, it, it has to be. Now that's not to say there are not useful um, commonalities and probably the most useful commonality is a language of learning because it gives a framework of reference for a student who is doing very different things in maths, English and economics but actually can spot through a common language of learning that they're actually trying mm-hmm. to do the same thing. They're just yeah. doing the same thing but mm-hmm. in, in different circumstances. Um, and that, that probably gives um, uh, some, some more of the... Um, control um, and awareness that is a essential part of this. Yeah, I mean, if we sort of take that to
0: sort of the ground level, then in terms of hopefully we get teachers, uh, we get students, we get parents listening to this. Um, say, from a parent's perspective, what can parents do in order to facilitate this sort of conversation at home, you know, in terms of um, getting little Johnny to, to, to start taking a more proactive uh, approach and a more, more cognizant approach to his, actually, his actual learning.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think it comes back, we go to the other part of the self-regulated learner. So it, it encompasses cognition, so your knowledge of the, the subject knowledge, basically your metacognition. So you're thinking about your thinking and you're picking the right strategies and then motivation. I think one of the, the motivation is one of the biggest areas that parents can support their sons on it because they know them um, emotionally, they know their strengths and their weaknesses, they know, have a great understanding of how they are as a person, which is really important mm. to being a good self-regulated learner because it's an understanding of oneself in terms of what my strengths and my weaknesses are, what I like to do, what I don't like to do, I know when I was in school, being dyslexic, English was really hard, languages, and I wish I had had more direction in terms of the strategies I could have used and more self-awareness of, okay, I might not like this subject, Mm -hmm. but I can learn a lot of skills from doing it. And the more joy of just the learning part of it, Mm -hmm. rather than focusing on my struggles with the, the subject itself, would have helped me in terms of my motivation a lot more rather than focusing on the negatives that those subjects would have towards me as a, as, a, as a learner. And I think that them supporting them with that understanding is really important. And also, I was thinking earlier about sort of questions they could ask them. And I felt that getting them to talk, getting your sons to talk you through their thought process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. while they're doing something or getting them to teach you something. Because if they can teach you as if you're a novice, that is them using their metacognitive skills and using their language skills to explain it is a really powerful tool because then they can use those skills to talk themselves through problems.
2: Yeah. I think in English something similar with the unseen poetry section where they get given two texts they haven't seen before and we teach them how to approach the question so they know regardless of what poem it is you can apply the same strategies and it would be really useful if the students could talk that through with their parents and say okay here's the poem I'm going to teach you how to approach an unseen text and if they can do that successfully then it shows that that kind of consolidation of you know understanding how to approach the question I think that would be really helpful to explain okay this is something I haven't seen before how do I approach it and if they can do that and someone else can understand it and I get them to do that in lessons as well so that would work nicely in tandem with that in class.
0: Yeah, that in nicely when we talk about revision. I think because yeah, yeah. we always say the best way yeah. to revise is actually to teach. Yeah, and you're going to mem- yeah. remember it a lot more, and that mm. obviously ties in with you know what we've been speaking about yeah. there. Um, uh, what could a student do to become more metacognitive?
3: Do you think? So I think in, from the cl- from well, various you know different points from the classroom um, in lessons um, a real sharp focus on. Um, what, what's being shown to you, how is it being shown to you, um, an attention to um, the metacognitive talk that's going on, um, whether it, that is drawing parallels with other things that you've learned and that knowledge like this is very similar to like this and you know this these are both specific examples of general things or concepts. Um, when you're thinking about how how to you know, the output, as it were, whether it's presentation, whether it's written, whether you know whether it's an essay, whether it's a set of problems. Um, how how do you go about that task? Um, and then the, the the other aspect of it, I I I think is vitally important, is to be open minded and allow yourself to be led, because you won't you might hear all these ideas unless you're prepared to give them a go. Um, and try them out and to adopt, adapt the way, adopt the ideas, adapt the way you are working so that you can um, refine your mm-hmm. own practice, um, then you, you're not necessarily going to develop the control to be able to you know, move, move your learning forward. Um, so we, when, when we're thinking about maybe um, how to interpret um, an essay title or um, the thought process around um, the structure of a particular paragraph, Mm-hmm. Um, ra- rather than saying, "Well, I mean, I'm just going to sit here and um, regurgitate all the knowledge I have in whatever way," you know, kind of comes out, is to be disciplined with yourself and to say, "Okay, well, I'm going to give this a go. Uh, I'm going to go. Th- I'm going to try and go through that same thought process, mm-hmm. even even when it feels a bit abstract or it certainly feels very different. Um, uh, then you've got to you've got to give it a go and being being open minded enough to, to, to do that, um, I think is really is really vital.
0: Mm-hmm what sort of things are we at Merchant Tailors doing to, to facilitate all the stuff we've talked about today then?
1: I think what Mr Andrews just said and stuff we've already covered really links into um, what we've put a massive focus on this year is in terms of our attitudes to learning that being open minded is, is one of the, the specific areas that we're looking at um, being reflective and balanced all those skills that we've put in there we've carefully thought about in terms of what we want as a learner and our focus as we go through the school we're looking at it on a bi-weekly basis in terms of we've been focusing on risk taking and in- inquiring and again these are specific skills to the subjects we're looking at so the teachers will be talking about them in the lessons boys will be reflecting like they did in terms of their self-reflection on that and like Mr. I said about the language of learning mm-hmm. using metacognition as a word in the classroom. Being really explicit in terms of that is really important of us as educators, as merchant tailors, to be able to pass that knowledge on to the boys and we're doing stuff in the cornerstone. I know myself and Mr Andrew have done a number of talks with the year groups and we're planning how we want the learning journey of a pupil to go from year 7 to 13, looking at these specific areas of a learner. We're looking at how can we develop those skills, because we're talking subject specific, but we're also looking at how can we look at building their knowledge as they go through school of metacognition. We can't sit down with a year seven and go into the the depth we're talking about now, but if we just start their understanding and just hearing the word, not being afraid of these terminologies with the boys and us being open about them, will really create their understanding, but also their acceptance of the language and their confidence in being able to speak about it themselves and understand it. So I think those are the two areas where we're making a big impact that we really want to, to push forward.
2: Based on the good practice we've seen in other schools, we use Purple Pen, we get the students to annotate their essays or if it's just a paragraph they've done to practice, to show where they have met specific requirements in the mark scheme. So for example, um, recently I've been doing it with Year 11, they've been colour coding and showing where they've made an inference or where they've talked about the writer's intention and by doing that they've spotted gaps of things that they haven't done and by using the purple it can differentiate on a a visual level I know what they've been doing but also for them I think it reinforces that they associate that with reflection and being more self-regulated and saying okay I've got lots of evidence maybe here I've got no analysis so we've been doing that a lot with especially year 11 as they come up to their exams and trying to get them to think about what they are maybe struggling with. Because i found that some students, they don't know until when it happens, they say, I can't answer that, and they'll just kind of give up. I think Mr Andrews, you alluded to this earlier on, sort of not being willing to, to try something and then not reflecting on it, perhaps just regurgitating what, what you know, not really thinking about, well, why did I write that? Why did I not include this? Mm-hmm. So we're really keen in, in English to use the purple pen as a sort of springboard for further reflection. And the vocabulary books have been great with that mm-hmm. as well. So trying to get the boys to use more ambitious language which we know that they are assessed on at GCSE and it's really good to see them using it in class and looking for different words if they say something's good or or bad it's not that's not really very specific it's too vague so they know, okay I'm going to use my vocabulary book to find an alternative and I think that's a really good example of self-regulation because yeah. they know I've got a resource here which is invaluable I can use it to try and find other examples and they've been looking up different words on themselves as well which fosters that independence mm. and Autonomy, which, as you say, we want to foster that culture here um, at Merchants.
3: You see more and more of that reflection um, and boys being asked to go through that process within, um, within lessons and in various different guises and style mentions there, mm-hmm. specifically in English. Um, coming, coming back out to that um, top layer um, and the, the um, ATL grades, you know, they're not there simply uh, just to, to get some data or to, to send, send home a great card. They are there because we, we are, they are what we believe is the, uh, the, 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 the key learning habits and attributes of mind that um, make great learners um, that's what we want to see boys are asked to reflect on those as, as they're given them and, and to, to, to set themselves targets for the, for the half term ahead, which is you know, why, we, why we publish them in the, in the middle of um, the term. Um, where, where does that go eventually, the direction of travel there? Well, it, it's the, nat- the natural kind of the move is that um, boys write self-reflections on their own reports at the end of the term. I've, I've seen that in um, various places and, and um, that's a very powerful comment. Um, probably the most valuable report of all the reports that are written um, is 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 the one that the, the pupil writes themselves mm-hmm. and on, on their um, on their learning and progress through through the term. So I, I think there's 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 plenty of there's plenty of things, um, but 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 also uh, it, it's, a, it's a really important I think to raise the the um, profile of this that the conversation in the background that's happening um, regarding how we teach um, draws quite significantly on, on metacognition, um, and on self-regulation. Um, I, Peps has talked about this, um, you know, both, both, both being a, a, a really exciting frontier in the, in the profession and also one of the, probably the most ambitious concepts, um, that, uh, t- teachers and the education sector has had to deal with, um, or is trying to deal with, grappling with, um, uh, in, in recent times and, and, um, you know, as we have, conversations about, about teaching and about the classroom experience. Here at Merchants then um, we see lots more focus on you know, how, how we're teaching to promote this kind of thing and, and actually um, how, how, how are we teaching to, to build independence and to make that transfer between you know, just, just teacher imparting knowledge, which you alluded to earlier, um, through to building up understanding because l- l- learning is not just committing to memory. Um, learning is promoting understanding and then memory is understanding in disguise, so that's where we start things in the classroom and that must therefore be a really um, considered and deliberate process.
1: I think it gets us onto why, why we want to do it it's like we said about the journey they're going through we want to create these amazing learners when they leave, not just grades that's not what we're trying to do it that's why we're focusing on this topic and our attitudes to learning is because we want to create by the time we get to year 11 and they leave we're producing boys who can leave here as great learners and they can use the skills that they've developed not just uh, an a or an a star on their cv but they're going to university or apprenticeships with real learning skills that will put them above and beyond other students are from other schools we're trying to develop that part of them and their understanding of themselves when they leave they're not just waiting for someone else to impart knowledge, like Mr Andrews said they can go and get it themselves they know how to regulate their learning when they're at university when they're in an environment where it's suddenly put on them to learn we're trying to impart that knowledge and that skill for when they go off they're more equipped than other people from other schools that's one of the reasons why we're, we're trying to do it Great. I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good a place as
0: any to, to finish up there, really. Just in that, that sort of journey going from you know, Year 7, where we, we pick up, up to the university, um, you know, trying to get that level of um, knowledge on this subject through to, to everyone that passes through our gates. really. Join us next time on Merchant's Talks, where we will be tackling the topic of revision, looking at tips and techniques that top students employ, in their revision along with debunking any common myths and misconceptions. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Merchant's Talks. Today we are focusing on failure and how it can impact one's learning journey at school. We hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome back to this uh, third uh, episode of Merchant's Talks. Uh, today, our topic is, is centered around failure. Uh, with us today, we've got uh, Mr. O'Brien, uh, Ms. Tarr, and Dr. Goodwin, and obviously myself, Mr. Yates. Um, we're going to explore the the world of failure. Why failure is good, uh, and and talk about it from a from an educational point of view as well. Let's kick things off, though, what I we thought we'd do is a little bit of a quiz. So, I'm going to uh, give you some facts about a famous person, uh, and we're going to go around and see if we can if we can guess who that famous person is who has failed in their life and then gone on to do great things. So we'll start off with Mr. O'Brien, see if you can guess this one. Uh, This is a famous film director who uh, has had three Academy Awards but was initially rejected twice by the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts.
1: Is it Spielberg?
0: It is Spielberg. So he's gone on to gross more than nine billion dollars. But initially was was obviously rejected from from twice from the school of uh, of cinematic arts. Good, one out of one. Let's see if we can go. <laughs> so Mr. Tarr, um, this man was a uh, was told by his teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything. He went on to hold more than a thousand patents, including the phonograph and practical electric lamp. Yeah. Well, this is why this isn't fairly a <laughs> science-based <laughs> question. That, yeah, <laughs> I'll give you his first name Thomas. I do know this
2: name. What?
0: Because the E. Right. Ready, but Edison.
2: So Thomas Edison.
0: Edison. Say, yeah. Edison. Edison. Yeah, Thomas yeah. Edison. Uh, yeah, told by his teachers he was <laughs> too stupid to learn anything, and then obviously went on to. Yeah. To, to not be stupid and learnt a lot, I imagine. We
4: haven't failed, miss, it's a learning <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> it, see, it, but. it is a <laughs> and I was just
2: going to say, he clearly failed,
4: didn't have <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And then finally for Dr. Goodwin, uh, this uh, this famous uh, entrepreneur, uh, uh, was told initially that he lacked imagination and had no good ideas, and he went on to create a multi-billion dollar company, uh, starting with uh, an initial drawing of a mouse. Um, Bill Gates? Nope.
4: Oh, a mouse mouse.
0: A mouse mouse. I
4: was immediately thinking of technology for some reason. Oh, Walt Disney. Walt Disney. Yeah,
0: so Walt Disney. Uh, This is Walt Disney's take on failure, then. I think it's important to have a good, hard failure when you're young because it makes you kind of aware of what can happen to you. Because of it, I've never had any fear in my whole life when we've been near collapse and all of that. I've never been afraid. So that was his take on failure. Uh, I believe he's now cryogenically frozen. Is that, I don't know if that's oh truth God. or it's just one of those urban <laughs> myths that he's cryogenically frozen. Um, to accept
4: the failure of death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. So, um, so yeah, two out of three. Well, three out of three, I suppose, with with a little help, miss. Um, mm-hmm. It is pretty good. I mean, there are obviously hundreds of these mm-hmm. these examples of people who have failed in life and then gone on uh, to to do great things. And um, I suppose bringing it back then, what is the importance? of failure, why is it important to fail, and as what Disney said uh, when, when you're young, uh, what does it teach us and, and how can we learn from it, I suppose?
1: Um, I'd start off, I think, as soon as, if you look back at children or babies, in terms of the only reason you become successful or be able to walk or eat is through failing. So learning, if you look at any learning journey right from the most basic ones, they all start with failure and you get to a certain age and failure becomes something you fear and I think that's because of the way society is because it you see instant images of people successful without the stories of them failing mm-hmm. and I think that's the message we want to try and get across in the podcast is that what you see people who are successful you see the end product you don't see the journey and all the failures along the way and the importance of is how you adapt from your failure, not the failure itself, I think is one thing we want to look at as we go through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's important with the with the with the idea that you fail when you're young and, and the lack of fear, I suppose. When I, you know, I I did a ski season a few years ago and and teaching young kids to ski, it was a lot easier to teach three, four-year-olds, because you plunk them at the top of the hill, you give them a destination at the bottom and they go for it. Whereas you, the older you get, the more fear you get. You know, I learned to ski when I was 18, 19, if that the same as me, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't wouldn't have really been able to do it if I was just blocked at the top of the hill and, and told to go down because you you get that sense of fear. But as you you know, you rightly say, you do learn from it. Um, I mean, uh, in terms of we were discussing before what yeah. like you were saying, Miss, in terms of failure, yeah, I'm just thinking,
2: miss. Uh, Mr. O'Brien, you mentioned about the way that we see it in society. I think we think of failure in a really negative way. So the connotations of failure, you know, we think, oh, someone's they're not too good for something or they're not good enough to enter a competition or to win something. I think part of the problem is how we, we think about it. I mean, I've done this myself like at school, you know, not getting into, I really wanted to get into this um, this ballet school at one point. I didn't get in. And you know, that was partly because I wasn't good enough to get into it, but I learned that actually, the way I was thinking about failure was, well, that's the end of it then. That failure was an end point, but actually it's it's not an end to something. It's something that, as John Keats would say, it's like the highway to success, so it leads to something else. And it can teach you things that maybe you wouldn't know about yourself if you hadn't tried something. So you mentioned about skiing with the mm. that you wouldn't know, even if you fall when you get to the end, you know that next time you're gonna do something different and you're gonna change it. So I think the way we think about failure is really important and it's easy to just think, oh, fail, oh, that's it. But if, if you continue with that attitude, then you're kind of allowing yourself to be dragged down by failure. Mm. And the way you think about it, I think needs to, needs to change. I quite like the um, FAIL acronym first attempt in learning Mm -hmm. so thinking about it's not that you you fail at it but actually it's understanding how to succeed at something because you failed at it and in the future you'll do something different and you've had that time to reflect because you failed at it Mm -hmm. and I think maybe Dr Woodman that might link to you
4: Yes absolutely just I mean in language learning I always say and my colleagues always say it's all about the making mistakes mm. it's how you actually become fluent in, yeah. in a language none of us are born fluent in any yeah. language mm. not our mother tongue not a second or a third language so it's to, to welcome the mistakes and mm. to see them as part of this process of becoming fluent or even becoming semi-fluent or even just conversational which is why in the department and I know in English as well yeah. we very much push this idea of we will identify where the mistakes Mm -hmm. are but it's up to students to have a good look to process mistakes and then to fix them Mm -hmm. themselves and to respond to targets set by Mm -hmm. us in detail so all departments of course will do something similar using slightly different methods but that really is for us anyway the most essential part Mm -hmm. of the learning process is that I've done this here's what my outcome was how can Mm -hmm. I build on it so definitely not, not having the fear and to recognise it as mm. part of this natural progress, as, as you were both saying. Mm. And you just reminded me, Miss Tarr. I was thinking back, you know, what, what big failures have I had, and then how did that kind of shape what, what yeah. I did? Yeah. Um, kind of similar to you in the, in the ballet school, I grew up in Balaamena, Northern Ireland, and all I wanted to be was an actor, and uh, I told everybody I was going to be an actor. I was in the Irish <laughs> theatre yeah, and school plays and stuff like that, but that was it for me, yeah. and there was nothing else I wanted to do because I didn't get into drama school and I did apply to a Mm -hmm. few of them I ended up taking a random gap year in France and the rest is history because as everybody knows I'm now a languages teacher I'm really you know geeky and interested in in languages and and, and all the opportunities that brings so you know that helped shape shape my life in a really positive way Um, I'd probably still be broke right now (laughs) if I was an actor Um, but the point is that failure leads to opportunity yeah. and it's all about the way you see it and the way you bounce back from it um, i think so yeah
0: you mentioned an interesting study that was done
4: yes um, I, was, I was just looking for some some interesting studies about how educators have kind of approached this concept of failure and and, and how students respond Um 2018 study a group of educators at the university of toronto took two groups of students um one of whom hadn't been previously exposed to certain content So they were then assessed and had to guess their answers. They were then given feedback on the correct answers. The other group had wrote learnt and had memorised essentially the content, then did their assessment, and then both groups continued to be assessed as time went on. Interestingly, it was the group who hadn't previously seen the material, but were given the more detailed feedback and the chance to respond to the feedback, in the end achieved much higher attainment and much better grades. And I think whilst none of us would encourage pupils to, to guess, <laughs> um, certainly not to not concentrate in the, in the first instance, but the opportunities our students have is to learn the materials in the first place, then to do the revision, but then to respond to the feedback and, and fix the correction. So, I think that's the message from, yeah. from that study, according to yeah. you know, the educational studies, that is what really works and that's ultimately what converts learning into long-term memory mm-hmm. So there was a meeting the other day with some uh, teachers that Mrs. Croxton led about dual coding and how essentially learning, ultimate learning, is about imprinting information in our long-term memories, getting it to shift from our working memories to long-term. And one way to do that is is dual coding, which I think can take many forms, listening and seeing, for example, but also the doing and then the feedback response. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a form of dual coding as yeah. well. So, you know, it's... It, it's a subjective thing, not everything for me is going to work for you or for every student, but it's just important for each student to find what is the coding, what is the method that's going to work yeah. for them, how can they build on yeah. on the failure and to see it as something positive.
1: Yeah, yeah and I think, I think it's um, leading us on to the point where we we're trying to get to is reframing mm. failure and potentially getting away from the word failure into more along the lines of it's a learning opportunity. Yeah. And I think, ultimately, students in school, that's what they need to, to see. All their opportunities building up to their exams are learning opportunities. So the result doesn't necessarily matter. It's what you learn from what you've got wrong. Whether that was you've got 90% or you've got 30%, it just means you've got maybe a little less or a lot more to learn from that opportunity. And getting away from that result... And seeing that part as, that's what defines me Mm -hmm. as the student, whereas actually what defines you is what you do about it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's that process of going along the way. And students do it all the time. If we go to Mm -hmm. things that they like to do, um, sport, music, computer games, Mm -hmm. all three things all students like to do. Mm -hmm. Um, None of them start as experts. Mm -hmm. But when they go out and practice, they'll fail taking free kicks Mm -hmm. hundreds of times. But they won't worry about that, because they'll get better. Same as a musician who's learning to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. How many times will they fail uh, missing that note? Or learning that song? Mm -hmm. Um, Computer games. The the journey of a computer game is going from easy to hard. But you get opportunities to learn along the way, Mm -hmm. because um, whatever it is, if you're going through Call of Duty and you're playing it, and (coughs) you're doing a level, you get to a point, you die, so you go back to the beginning. But you've got that experience. You don't realise necessarily you're doing it, but you've learnt as you've gone through mm-hmm. and get to the point and you learn and move on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's seeing that you're doing it all the time in things you enjoy mm-hmm. and then trying to apply those skills mm-hmm. into things you may not necessarily enjoy as much but are really important, I think this is one thing we want to try and get across.
4: Yeah. And I think there's something in the sort of time frames as well, because obviously playing computer games for example, it might seem more instantaneous. Mm-hmm. You know, If I just try again, I'm gonna jump up the next level next time. It's where students or anybody's having to look at the bigger picture in the more long-term, it seems more daunting to kind of persevere for the long-term yeah. goals. But I was just thinking as you were t- chatting there, Mr. O'Brien, about um, a couple of things I've been watching recently. One was the Olympics, the Winter Olympics in China. And I think Britain's only gold <laughs> in the end was the women's curling team and I think she's called Eve Murhead that's her fourth Winter Olympics Mm -hmm. and the first time she's won uh, Olympic gold she's also had hip surgery apparently and lots of um, lots of injury issues but I mean that really is whilst curling isn't you know my preferred um, sport to watch I totally respect you know I couldn't have any more respect for that person because for over 16 years she's persevered and persevered To get Mm. to get to where she wants to be. And then From the Sublime to the Ridiculous, last night I was watching a a documentary um, about Instagram. Don't know if you've seen it on iPlayer. Oh, I have seen that. Um, The Bad Influencer. It was called. Yeah. And absolutely Mm. terrifying about, like you were saying before, this kind of growing culture and the 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 rapidly growing culture of wanting to appear or to be better than you are, and basically to not show any element of failure yeah. in the way you look in the way you act even in the holidays you go on even in the food that you eat and we're at you know a really crucial kind of moment yeah. where i think we all need to look at you know what is the reality what is the truth and that failure and mistakes is an essential part of life not yeah. just learning yeah. so even though we you know we might want to post these glamorous pictures of ourselves on instagram mm. we just need to take a step back and take a check yeah. of what is reality yeah um, Absolutely,
2: and I just wanted to give a shout out to Boys and 7TR because they've been using this phrase, which um, I love and they know this, I'm not sure if this is right, but... So they've been uh-huh. saying like they're not afraid to take a risk and I think even if they do get it wrong, they know that they're in a, a space which I know that we're all doing, so they don't feel like someone's going to say, oh that's wrong, but actually you've you've said something which maybe you've made a mistake there or you've made an error in your grammar or sort of whatever it is, but yeah. actually we can then say, let's write it on the board and do it together and it's okay. So I think it's, and this links quite nicely into the attitude to learning, the ATLs as well, the risk taking and not being afraid to get something wrong because actually you, you'll be able to maybe learn something better because of mm. it. And I know uh, boys have been doing that in, in English and uh, they've been using this phrase nearly every lesson. I know that's something which is, is really important. I don't know if this is right, but mm-hmm. I think if that's a shared culture of not being afraid to make a mistake or to show, as you were saying about with Instagram, to not show mm. that, oh, there's something that maybe I didn't do maybe as good as I could have done, mm. or maybe I thought I failed in that. Wait, well, it's not that you, you failed at it, but you can you can change it and you can make it better so that in the future it's, you know, it's much more um, what you want it to be. I always find, Mr Brown, you mentioned sport, the American football players watching them watch their own footage back, mm. and they watch like, hours and hours of footage mm-hmm. to see what they did in that game, and that helps them to to be better, which is why so many teams go on to win the Super Bowl because they've actually watched their footage and they know what they're doing wasn't mm. maybe what they should be mm. in order to, to win the game.
4: I and think. we've started doing a bit of that yeah. in teaching, haven't we? Yeah, so oh, Brian's absolutely. been recording yeah, lessons. That's, yeah, that's, and a, that's a really good point with the
2: yeah. swivel, like watching yeah. yourself teach and saying, you know, looking for things that you could do to improve. Mm-hmm. And I think there's
1: a couple of things I'll take out of both of them is. It's reframing it in your own head. Mm. I think it's one of the, the most powerful things you yeah. can do and it's one of the hardest things to do mm. is to remove that self-judgment yeah. or thinking other people are going to judge me yeah. for getting this wrong. Mm. And once you remove that and it's like having a release yeah. that release of pressure mm. on yourself and 70 I seem to doing it really well is one of the big things I say in my classroom is there's no judgment in here. Yeah. There's no judgment because mm. removing that gives you the freedom yeah. to, okay, I can get this wrong. I can fail in this. Yeah. And then when there's opportunities, when it does matter, mm-hmm. which there are, when you get to your GCSEs and you're doing your A-levels and that exam, it does matter. Learning to, okay, I've taken all those learnings. Mm-hmm. I've had all these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Having that confidence in yourself, okay, I'm prepared. I can go and do this What matters. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you were saying, Dr. Goodwin, I think it links to humans are set up to, for instant gratification. That's the way our whole evolution has been—instant mm-hmm. gratification. Whereas now in society, it's the absolute opposite. To be successful, mm-hmm. you have to have delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. The only way to be successful is to accept mm-hmm. delayed gratification. True, because successful, to yeah. be yeah. to get to the end point of where you want to be successful, it's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot of failures along the way or learning opportunities. But it's that realization. And accepting that part and enjoying the journey rather than focusing on the instant wins yeah. yes that gets you to the okay I'm able to accept yeah. this and this is my journey and I'm gonna yeah. learn along the way mm-hmm. in,
2: in order to do that as you said mr. O'Brien you have to have that sense of perspective and reframing of what failure mm. is so it's not that failure is an end point mm-hmm. it's part of a bigger picture which mm-hmm. you know you have to accept and step back yes. from him these immediately I know when boys get their mock exams or HTAs back and they say oh that's the marketing I didn't want and then that can help you know you can shut down from that and think I didn't do well at it but something that reminded me Scott Fitzgerald and um, the writer said you mustn't confuse a single failure with a final defeat so you can't see it as that it's it's the end of something and that you can't do it actually it's part of a bigger
1: picture and a chain of opportunities for you to reach where you want to be. Yeah, and if we look at the Year 13s, Year 11s, Mm. set the mocks in January, the biggest thing for them to take out of that, and they're going to get another opportunity with their next assessments coming up, is reflecting on the whole process, not just the the result, because it'll be the first time they'll have sat exams that matter. Mm -hmm. So going back and thinking, how did I prepare for this? Mm -hmm. Was that a successful type of revision? when I went into the exam scenario was I mentally prepared for what it was going to be like for when I turn over a question I can't do it Mm -hmm. because that's going to happen yeah Yeah. and being prepared for that and using those learnings not just what you learn in content Mm -hmm. but what you learn from the experience of those exams and the failings that you made that you can correct for the next opportunity I think is one of the most important things that those year elevens, thirteens need to take into the next exams and then yeah. the ones hopefully in the summer. It doesn't seem
2: like it at the time, but actually no. in the yes. long run. So you have to it's difficult to step back from it, which is something that I'm sure that, I know that I've done it's hard to do.
4: Yeah.
2: But actually it's gonna help me in the future. I
4: think all of the things that we're talking about are especially hard mm. with certain year groups, oh, essentially adolescents, you know, which yeah. is quite widespread. Yeah. So, you know, we're all sitting here as, as grown ups, <laughs> like full on adults, teachers and, you know, we can reflect back on our childhood and young adulthood and all the rest of it. We, we recognise that it is so much harder when you are, say, a teenager, yeah. A, to see that bigger picture, but B, to not be scared of how failure might be perceived by others. Yeah. You know, yeah. so your teachers do recognise, and I'm sure your parents do as well, how sensitive that can be. But hopefully, you know, there's some reassurances here that, you know, it is worth it in the end and uh, just reminded me of Simon Sinek have you ever watched yeah. oh, Ted yeah. Talks he yeah. 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 talks about the infinite yeah. game yeah. that's one of those, that phrase has just stuck with mm. me now in, in loads of things that I do, where I think to myself, oh this is this is no good, I've, I've failed in this or I'm useless at this I just think back to that and for some reason it's something that, that stuck to me life, I feel like we're getting very deep before <laughs> but <you> know, life <laughs> is an infinite game yeah. in that sense, it's not, you're never at the end of something, it's yeah. only like we've been saying it's an yeah. opportunity for for improvement so yeah. that that certainly works for me yeah. to have that in my head it's all this infinite quest for not perfection but improvement i suppose yeah, development yeah. yeah so
0: Episode three of Merchant's Talks. Today we are focusing on failure and how it can impact one's learning journey at school. We hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome back to this uh, third uh, episode of Merchant's Talks. Uh, today our topic is uh, centered around failure. Uh, with us today we've got uh, Mr O'Brien, uh, Ms Tarr and Dr Goodwin and obviously myself, Mr Yates. Um, we're going to explore the, the world of failure, why failure is good uh, and, and talk about it from, a, from an educational point of view as well. To kick things off though, what I we thought we'd do is a little bit of a quiz. So I'm going to uh, give you some facts about a famous person uh, and we're going to go around and see if we can if we can guess who that famous person is who has failed in their life and then gone on to do great things. So we'll start off with Mr. O'Brien, see if you can guess this one. Uh, This is a famous film director who uh, has had three Academy Awards but was initially rejected twice by the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts.
1: Is it Spielberg?
0: It is Spielberg. So he's gone on to gross more than nine billion dollars. But initially was, was obviously rejected from it from twice from the school of uh, of cinematic arts. Good, one out of one. Let's see if we can go. <laughs> so Mr. Tarr, um, this man was a uh, was told by his teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything. He went on to hold more than a thousand patents, including the phonograph and practical electric lamp. why yeah. this isn't well, is fair. This is a <laughs> science-based question. Ready, that, yeah, <laughs> I'll give you his first name, Thomas. I do know
2: this surname e. right. but because of E, Thomas Edison. Edison. It, yeah. Edison. Edison,
0: Edison yeah. yeah, Thomas yeah. Edison. Uh, yeah, told by his teachers he was too <laughs> stupid to learn anything, and then obviously went on to. Yeah. To, to not be stupid and learnt a lot, I imagine. We haven't
4: failed, miss, it's a learning <laughs> opportunity <laughs> It
2: is a learning opportunity, I was just going to say, he clearly failed, didn't have
0: <laughs> yeah. And then finally for Dr. Goodwin, uh, this, uh, this famous uh, entrepreneur, uh, uh, was told initially that he lacked imagination and had no good ideas, and he went on to create a multi-billion dollar company, uh, starting with uh, an initial drawing of a mouse. Um,
4: Bill Gates? Nope. Oh, a mouse mouse.
0: A mouse mouse. I
4: was immediately thinking of technology for some reason. Oh, Walt Disney. Walt Disney. Yeah,
0: so Walt Disney. Uh, This is Walt Disney's take on failure, then. I think it's important to have a good, hard failure when you're young because it makes you kind of aware of what can happen to you. Because of it, I've never had any fear in my whole life when we've been near collapse and all of that. I've never been afraid. So that was his take on failure. Uh, I believe he's now cryogenically frozen. Is that, I don't know if that's truth or it's just one of those urban myths that he's cryogenically frozen. Um, to
4: accept the failure of death. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. So, um, so yeah, two out of three. Well, three out of three, I suppose, with with a little help, miss. Um, mm-hmm. It is pretty good. I mean, there are obviously hundreds of these mm. these examples of people who have failed in life and then gone on uh, to to do great things. And um, I suppose bringing it back, then, what is the importance? of failure, why is it important to fail and as what Disney said uh, when, when you're young uh, what does it teach us and, and how can we learn from it I suppose?
1: Um, I'd start off I think as soon as if you look back at children or babies in terms of the only reason you become successful or be able to walk or eat is through failing. So learning. if you look at any learning journey right from the most basic ones they all start with failure and you get to a certain age and failure becomes something you fear. And I think that's because of the way society is, because it you see instant images of people successful without the stories of them failing. And I think that's the message we want to try and get across in the podcast, is that what you see people who are successful, you see the end product. You don't see the journey and all the failures along the way. And the importance of... Is how you adapt from your failure not the failure itself I think is one thing we want to look at as we go through
0: yeah absolutely I think that it's important with the with the with the idea that you fail when you're young and, and the lack of fear I suppose when I, you know, I I did a ski season a few years ago and and teaching young kids to ski it was a lot easier to teach three four-year-olds because you plunk them at the top of the hill you give them a destination at the bottom and they go for it whereas you the older you get the more fear you get you know I learned to ski when I was 18 19 if that the same as me, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't, wouldn't have really been able to do it if I was just blocked at the top of the hill and, and told to go down because you, you get that sense of fear. Mm-hmm. But as you, you know, you rightly say, you do learn from it. Um, I mean, uh, in terms of we were discussing before, what yeah. like you were saying, Miss, in terms of failure, yeah, I'm just thinking,
2: um, Mr. O'Brien, you mentioned about the way that we see it in society. I think we think of failure in a really negative way. So the connotations of failure, you know, we think, oh, someone's they're not too good for something, or they're not good enough to enter a competition or to win something. I think part of the problem is how we, we think about it. I mean, I've done this myself at school, you know, not getting into, I really wanted to get into this um, this ballet school at one point. I didn't get in, and you know, that was partly because I wasn't good enough to get into it, but I learned that actually the way I was thinking about failure was, well, that's the end of it then, that failure was an end point, but actually it's, it's not an end to something. It's something that, as John Keats would say, it's the highway to success, so it leads to something else and it can teach you things that maybe you wouldn't know about yourself if you hadn't tried something so you mentioned not skiing Mr. the mm. that you wouldn't know even if you fall when you get to the end you know that next time you're going to do something different and you're going to change it so I think the way we think about failure is really important and it's easy to just think oh fail or that's it but if if you continue with that attitude then you're kind of allowing yourself to be dragged down by failure mm. and the way you think about it I think needs to needs to change I quite like the um, FAIL acronym, First Attempt in Learning. Yeah, so yeah. thinking about, that, it's not that you fail at it, but actually it's understanding how to succeed at something because you failed at it. And in the future, you'll do something different and you've had that time to reflect because you failed at it. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Dr Woodman that might link to...
4: Yes, absolutely. Just I mean in language learning I always say and my colleagues always say it's all about the making mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's how you actually become fluent in in a language. None of us are born fluent in any language, Mm -hmm. not our mother tongue, not a second or a third language. So it's to to welcome the mistakes and Mm -hmm. to see them as part of this process of becoming Mm -hmm. fluent or even becoming semi fluent or even just conversational, which is why in the department and I know in English as well, we very much push this idea of we will identify where the mistakes Mm. are but it's up to students to have a good look to process mistakes and then to fix them Mm. themselves and to respond to targets set by Mm. us in detail so all departments of course will do something similar using slightly different methods but that really is for us anyway the most essential part of the learning process is that I've done this here's what my outcome was how can Mm. I build on it so definitely not, not having the fear and to recognise it as mm-hmm. part of this natural progress, as, as you were both saying. Mm-hmm. And you just reminded me, Miss Tarr, I was thinking back, you know, what, what f- big failures have I had? And then how did that kind of shape what, what yeah. I did? Yeah. Um, kind of similar to you in the, in the ballet school, I grew up in Balaamena, Northern Ireland, and all I wanted to be was an actor. Uh, I told everybody I was going to be an actor. <laughs> I was in the Irish theatre yeah, and school plays and stuff like that. But that was it for me, yeah. and there was nothing else I wanted to do because i didn't get into drama school and i did apply to a mm-hmm. few of them i ended up taking a random gap year in france yeah. and the rest is history because yeah. as everybody yeah. knows i'm now a languages teacher yeah. i'm really you know geeky yeah. and interested in, in languages and, and and all the opportunities that brings so you know that helped shape, shape my life in a really positive yeah. way um i'd probably still be broke right now <laughs> if i was a, a, an actor um but the point is that failure leads to opportunity yeah. and it's all about the way you see it and the way you bounce back from it yeah. um, I think so yeah
0: you mentioned an interesting study that was done
4: yes um, I, was, I was just looking for some, some interesting studies about how educators have kind of approached this concept of failure and and, and how students respond Um 2018 study a group of educators at the University of Toronto took two groups of students um, one of whom hadn't been previously exposed to certain content So they were then assessed and had to guess their answers. They were then given feedback on the correct answers. The other group had wrote, learnt, and had memorised essentially the content, then did their assessment, and then both groups continued to be assessed as time went on. Interestingly, it was the group who hadn't previously seen the material, but were given the more detailed feedback and the chance to respond to the feedback, in the end achieved much higher attainment and much better grades. And I think whilst none of us would encourage pupils to, to guess, mm. <laughs> um, certainly not to not concentrate in the, in the first instance, but the opportunities our students have is to learn the materials in the first place, then to do the revision, but then to respond to the feedback and, and fix the corrections. So, I think that's the message from, yeah. from that study, according to yeah. you know, the educational studies, that is what really works. And that's ultimately what converts learning into long-term memory. Mm. So there was a meeting the other day with some uh, teachers that Mrs. Croxton led about dual coding and how essentially learning, ultimate learning, is about imprinting information in our long-term memories, getting it to shift from our working memories to long-term. And one way to do that is is dual coding, which I think can take many forms, listening and seeing, for example, but also the doing and then the feedback response. To me, that's a form of dual coding as yeah. well. So, you know, it's... It, it's a subjective thing. Not everything for me is going to work for you or for every student. But it's just important for each student to find what is the coding, what is the method that's going to work yeah, for them. How can they build on yeah. on the failure and to see it as something positive?
1: Yeah, yeah and I think I think it's um, leading us on to the point where we we're trying to get to is reframing mm. failure and potentially getting away from the word failure into more along the lines of it's a learning opportunity. Yeah. And I think, ultimately, students in school, that's what they need to to see. All their opportunities building up to their exams are learning opportunities. So the result doesn't necessarily matter, it's what you learn from what you got wrong. Whether that was you got 90% or you got 30%, it just means you've got maybe a little less or a lot more, to learn from that opportunity. And getting away from that result and seeing that part as that's what defines me Mm -hmm. as the student, whereas actually what defines you is what you do about it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's that process of going along the way. And students do it all the time. If we go to Mm -hmm. things that they like to do, um, sport, music, computer games, Mm -hmm. all three things all students like to do. Mm -hmm. Um, None of them start as experts. Mm -hmm. But when they go out and practise, they'll fail taking free kicks Mm -hmm. hundreds of times. But they won't worry about that, because they'll get better. Same as a musician who's learning to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. How many times will they fail uh, missing that note or learning that song? Um, Computer games. The the journey of a computer game is going from easy to hard. But you get opportunities to learn along the way, because um, whatever it is, if you're going through Call of Duty and you're playing it, and you're doing a level, you get to a point, you die, so you go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. But you've got that experience. You don't realise necessarily you're doing it, but you've learnt as you've gone through mm-hmm. and get to the point and you learn and move on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's seeing that you're doing it all the time in things you enjoy mm-hmm. and then trying to apply those skills mm-hmm. into things you may not necessarily enjoy as much but are really important, mm-hmm. I think is one thing we want to try and get across. Yeah.
4: And I think there's something in the sort of time frames as well because obviously playing computer games for example, might seem more instantaneous, Mm. you know, if I just try again, I'm going to jump up the next level next time. It's where students or anybody's having to look at the bigger picture in the more long term, it seems more daunting to kind of persevere for the long term goals. But I was just thinking as you were chatting there, Mr. O'Brien, about um, a couple of things I've been watching recently. One was the Olympics, the Winter Olympics in China. And I think Britain's only gold (laughs) In the end, was the women's curling yeah, team, that's right. yeah, that's and I think thing. she's called Eve Murhead. Yeah. That's her that's fourth right. Winter Olympics, yeah. and the first time she's won uh, Olympic gold. She's also had hip surgery, apparently, and lots of um, lots of injury issues. But I mean, that really is. Whilst curling isn't, you know, my preferred um, sport to watch, I totally respect. Yeah. You know, I couldn't have any more respect yeah. for that person because for over sixteen years, she's persevered and persevered to get mm-hmm. to get to where she wants to be. And then from the sublime to the ridiculous, last night I was watching a a documentary um, about Instagram, I don't know if you've seen it on iPlayer. Oh, I have seen that. Um, yeah. The Bad Influencer, it yeah. was called. Yeah. And absolutely terrifying about, like you were saying before, this kind of growing culture and the, the, the rapidly growing culture of wanting to appear yeah. or to be better than you are, and basically to not show any element of failure yeah. in the way you look in the way you act even in the holidays you go on even in the food that you eat and we're at you know a really crucial kind of moment yeah. where i think we all need to look at you know what is the reality what is the truth and that failure and mistakes is an essential part of life not yeah. just learning yeah. so even though we you know we might want to post these glamorous pictures of ourselves on instagram mm. we just need to take a step back and take a check yeah. of what is reality yeah Absolutely,
2: and I just wanted to give a shout out to Boys in 7TR because they've been using this phrase, which um, I love, and they know this, I'm not sure if this is right, but... So they've been mm-hmm. saying like they're not afraid to take a risk, and I think even if they do get it wrong, they know that they're in a, a space, which I know that we're all doing, so that they don't feel like someone's going to say, oh, that's wrong, but actually you've, you've said something which maybe you've made a mistake there or you've made an error in your grammar or sort of whatever it is, but yeah. actually we can then say, let's write it on the board, and do it together and it's okay. So I think it's, and this links quite nicely into the attitude to learning, the ATLs, as well, the risk taking, and not being afraid to get something wrong because actually you, you'll you be able to maybe learn something better because mm. of it. And I know uh, boys have been doing that in, in English and uh, they've been using this phrase nearly every lesson. I know that's something which is, is really important. I don't know if this is right, but mm-hmm. I think if that's a shared culture of not being afraid, to make a mistake, or to show, as you were saying about, with Instagram, to not show mm. that, oh, there's something that maybe I didn't do, maybe as good as I could have done, mm. or maybe I thought I failed in that. Wait, well, it's not that you, you failed at it, but you can you can change it and you can make it better, so that in the future, it's you know, it's much more um, what you want it to be. I always find, Mr. Brown, you mentioned sport, the American football players watching them, watch their own footage back, mm. and they watch like, hours and hours of footage mm-hmm. to see what they did in that game and that helps them to to be better which is why so many teams go on to win the Super Bowl because they've actually watched their footage and they know what they're doing wasn't mm. maybe what they should be mm. in order to, to win the game.
4: And we've started doing a bit of that yeah. in teaching haven't we? Brian's yeah. so oh, been
2: recording yeah, lessons. That's, yeah that's, and a, that's a really good point with the yeah. swivel, like watching yeah. yourself teach and saying you know, looking for things that you can do to improve. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think there's a couple of things I take out of both of them is it's reframing it in your own head. Mm. I think it's one of the, the most powerful things you yeah. can do. And it's one of the hardest things to do mm. is to remove that self-judgment yeah. or thinking other people are going to judge me yeah. for getting this wrong. Mm. And once you remove that, and it's like having a release, yeah. that release of pressure mm. on yourself and Seventy, cr seem to be doing it really well. It's one of the big things I say in my classroom is there's no judgment in here. Yeah. There's no judgment because mm. removing that gives you the freedom yeah. to, okay, I can get this wrong, I can fail in this. Yeah. And then, when there's opportunities when it does matter, mm-hmm. which there are, when you get to your GCSEs and you're doing your A-Levels and that exam, it does matter, learning to, okay, I've taken all those learnings, mm-hmm. I've had all these opportunities, mm-hmm. having that confidence in yourself, okay, I'm prepared, I can go and do this, what matters. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you were saying, Dr. Goodwin, I think it links to, humans are set up to for instant gratification that's the way our whole evolution has been mm-hmm. instant gratification whereas now in society it's the absolute opposite to be successful mm-hmm. you have to have delayed gratification mm-hmm. the only way to be successful is to accept mm-hmm. delayed gratification because successful, to successful yeah. yeah. to get to the mm-hmm. end point of where you want to be successful it's going to take a long time mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot of failures along the way mm-hmm. or learning opportunities but it's that realisation and accepting that part and enjoying the journey rather than focusing on the instant wins yeah. yes. that gets you to the okay, I'm able to accept yeah. this and this is my journey and I'm gonna yeah. learn along the way.
2: Mm-hmm. In, in order to do that, as you said, Mr. O'Brien, you have to have that sense of perspective and reframing of what failure mm. is. So it's not that failure is an end point; it's mm-hmm. part of a bigger picture, which mm-hmm. you know you have to accept and step back yes. from him These immediately I know when boys get their mock exams or HTAs back and they say oh that's the marketing I didn't want and then that can help you know you can shut down from that and think I didn't do well at it but something that reminded me Scott Fitzgerald um, the writer said you mustn't confuse a single failure with a final defeat so you can't see it as that it's, it's the end of something and that you can't do it actually it's part of a bigger picture and a chain of opportunities for you to reach where you want
1: to be. Yeah, and if we look at the year 13, year 11, Mm. set the mocks in January, the biggest thing for them to take out of that, and they're gonna get another opportunity with their next assessments coming up, is reflecting on the whole process, not just the the result, because it'll be the first time they'll have sat exams that matter. Mm. So going back and thinking, how did I prepare for this? Mm. Was that a successful type of revision? When I went into the exam scenario, was I mentally prepared? for what it was going to be like for when I turn over a question and I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And being prepared for that and using those learnings, not just what you learn in content, mm-hmm. but what you learn from the experience of those exams yeah. and the failings that you made that you can correct for the next opportunity I think is the, one of the most important things yeah. that those year 11s, 13s need to take into the next exams and then yeah. the ones hopefully in the summer.
2: It doesn't seem like it at the time, but actually no, in the yes. long run, so you have to. It's difficult to step back from it, which is something that I'm sure that I know that I've done. It's hard to, yeah. of, but actually it's going to help me in the
4: future. I think all of the things that we're talking about mm. are especially hard mm. with certain year groups, oh, essentially adolescents you know, which yeah, is quite widespread. Yeah. So you know, we're all sitting here as, as grown ups, <laughs> like full on adults, teachers, and you know, we can reflect back on our mm. childhood and young adulthood and all the rest of it. We we recognize that it is so much harder when you are say a teenager, yeah. a to see that bigger picture, but b to not be scared of how failure might be perceived by others. Yeah. You know, yeah. so your teachers do recognize, and I'm yeah. sure your parents do as well, how sensitive that can be. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, there's some reassurances here that you know it is worth it in the end. And uh, just reminded me of Simon Sinek. Have you ever watched? Yeah, yeah. T- oh, yeah. TED talks Yeah, yeah. Talks yeah. about yeah. the infinite yeah. game. Yeah. That's one of those, that phrase has just stuck with yeah. me now in, in loads of things that I do, where I think to myself, oh, this is, this is no good, I've, I've failed in this, or I'm useless at this. I just think back to that, and for some reason it's something that, that stuck to me. Life, I feel like we're getting very deep, before talking <laughs> though, but <you> know, life <laughs> is something. an infinite game yeah. in that sense. It's not You're never at the end of something. It's yeah. only, like we've been saying, it's an opportunity for, for improvement. So yeah. that, that certainly works for me, yeah. to have that in my head. It's all this infinite... Quest for not perfection but improvement, I suppose, yeah, and development. Yeah. So.